Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. And today we're talking about parenting. We are parenting. Yeah, so in usual fashion we thought we'd kind of start off um, talking about, you know, where you came from, where you've moved to and moving into other bits here and there um Mm. but yeah starting off with kind of like your previous thoughts on parenting when you were a religious person versus now um yeah i I suppose um i I suppose I, i feel like um i actually had quite a good experience in many respects of of uh of being a child i mean don't get me wrong my childhood was in some respects full of fear i've talked about that before but that wasn't due to my parents really and other than the um you know the 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 beliefs that we were taught to believe at the Mm. kingdom hall and and so on um but in terms of the relationship that uh i had with my parents i I feel like it was a good one and and actually still is a good one really so that i suppose is important to say first of all that's not to say that i agree with all of the ideas and concepts that I was brought up with but um but yeah it's probably worth saying that I think it's important to say that yeah and obviously I have a good relationship with you I think that's obvious in that we have a podcast together and again we talk <laughs> about mum fairly regularly I would say so yeah, yeah we yeah. have a good relationship as well um yeah that that's right so we're not we're not coming at this from a position of you know broken lots families to say. Or yeah, like, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so that gives us a, a certain insight but certainly no no universal insight into the whole thing but you know that's that's how that's where we're coming from isn't it yeah um so i think we'll just jump straight in really and um I'll, I'll ask you some i wrote down some questions to okay. ask you yeah um so one of my questions straight away is did you always think you'd be a parent like when you were younger before did you always think oh yeah I'll be a dad yeah it's a really good question I, I must admit I was never particularly interested in having children um you know I just I didn't have the patience that like my brother was really good with kids and he'd play with younger kids and everything they sort of rev- gravitated towards him I never was that interested really in in um you know being that sort of father figure uh, I think when I when I got a bit older and um, there were younger slightly younger than me children so uh, when I got into my late teens and early 20s I think I I had um, a slightly kind of mentoring role for some of those youngsters who perhaps didn't have dads at the time or whatever and um, so then I, I kind of enjoyed that role more than 
than being the the dad mucking about with uh, playing with kids, you know. Mm. Um, so I didn't really have any uh, intentions of, of having children. It wasn't actually on my uh, my plan. <laughs> mm. My plan was to uh, pioneer, be an elder, be a circuit overseer, and circuit overseers don't have children, so that was kind of not in my particular plan. When I got a bit older, um, I still didn't really have any particular interest in it. And even when we got married, you know, we, we did have a, a little chat and neither of us were particularly interested in having children. So that, that was kind of, um, whilst we, neither of us signed a, you know, a piece of paper to say that we never wanted children, neither of us did at the time. You weren't um, particularly adverse. Like you weren't like, some people just desperately don't want children, but you no. you but in neither way nor the other. No, I think I think if you'd have said what were the chances, it would have probably been seventy thirty against having children mm. uh, when we first got married. But that did change, so we we did make a decision that we wanted to have children, and we both decided that. So yeah, we d- certainly changed our mind on that. But again, um, it wasn't that we were desperate, so we we kind of made a decision that we'd we'd stop taking precautions and if it happened it happened sort of thing and that was fine you know we we planned it to that degree if you like so we were Mm. in a position where we could support a a child and um, I had work and um, you know it would have it was okay it was fine and we would we would embrace it if it happened but it wasn't like oh we're trying for a baby you know what do we need to do you know Mm. when do we need to do it and Mm -hmm. how do we need to do it we didn't think about all of that we just we just uh, yeah if it happens it happens and that'll be great and it it pretty much did immediately actually Mm -hmm. so um so yeah you came along virtually the moment we we decided yeah you know it would be quite nice boom pregnant (laughs) (laughs) well there you go so yeah yeah which is terribly unfair isn't it i mean life is terribly unfair because i know some people desperately want to have kids and they're not able to um and so you know that's not what i've just said isn't isn't said flippantly in a way it's just that is just the way it happened and um Mm. uh yeah i'm I'm afraid it, it was for us it was just very easy obviously you said circuit overseers didn't have children um so that's kind of a straight away getting us into an insight i guess as to some of the opinions but what were the kind of religious views to being a parent previous so you know obviously you were um a jehovah's witness so yeah um was it encouraged to have children discouraged to have children you're saying like circuit overseers didn't is that was there kind of doctrine around children yeah so it was actually quite an interesting and in some respects quite a confusing message i think so unlike many I'd say fundamentalist Christians where having children is a is a really big part of it it's like you know there's even this quiverful movement have you heard of that I haven't no so there's a kind of they call it a quiverful so the idea is that you have your quiver full of arrows mm. so in other words you have as many babies as you can uh, it's in America it's this kind of fundamentalist Christian approach so basically you know you you just want to have as many children as possible you're kind of taking literally the bible um, in the Old Testament where it says, you know, to have, uh, well, have your quiver full. It's taken from a, a biblical passage, I do believe. Um, but Jehovah's Witnesses are not like that because they believe the end is coming anytime soon. So um, if the end is coming, then do you really want, um, you know, to have some children that will, A, 
obviously have to go through this great tribulation and all the terrible things that are happening and, and even the the last days and all that's involved in that and b you know the there was a particular phrase that was around at the time i don't know if it's still used but to keep your eye simple and this idea to keep your eye simple was to not look at things and wish for things that make your life more complicated mm. so that often related to career and and jobs and you know ambition and anything interesting that you might want to do in your life mm. but it was also applied to things like um yeah having children and even getting married actually you know so there was the the um i remember going to assemblies where they would talk about you know can you uh, can you live your life fully dedicated to Jehovah? And if you can do that without getting married, then that gives you so much more freedom to do so many more things for Jehovah and his organization. And that always did used to kind of give me a bit of pangs of guilt because I knew that I did want to get married. I knew that I did, didn't did want to be a, a single man all my life. Um, but it kind of felt like I wasn't being as fully dedicated as I I should have been. So that was a bit of a difficult one. And that obviously extended to children as well. So having children, while it wasn't um it wasn't even looked down upon. It, it's weird. It wasn't frowned upon. In fact, it was a, a time, you know, the congregation would be all happy and there'd be announcements at the meeting that, you know, somebody's just had a baby and you know, it was it was very much celebrated. But on the other hand, there was this this part of of the messages that you were getting which was you know could you not could you not dedicate your life to jehovah better by not having children so i think it's quite ambivalent it's a difficult um for me i find it quite a difficult thing to to kind of negotiate so yeah the the admonition wasn't to have lots of children in fact if you could probably best not to and i know there are some couples who you know did make decisions that they weren't going to have children because the end was so close you know what is the point of having children you know we're in the last days um we might as well wait until the new order when you know we'll be able to have children in in paradise and that would be much better so um and that, that is, is particularly really sad. sad that is really yeah. really sad to take away yeah i mean that's one of the like if you want children, that's one of the true joys you can have is to have them and yeah. raise them and you're never going to get that chance now. And that, that is truly sad. I think it is, you know, and um, sometimes you'll hear uh, people talk about even in a, an experience of a, an elderly JW mm. who's you know gone through many, many years of service, you know, and they'll say about the decision that they made not to have children. And again, this might be because they wanted to be circuit um, on the circuit or whatever and um yeah and it's seen as a kind of really faithful thing to do Being yes yeah but you can't help feeling a bit uh a bit sad about that so yeah i didn't really have any great ambitions to have kids um when i was growing up it wasn't i wasn't particularly paternal mm. and when we got married we didn't really have any plans mm -hmm. but obviously when we did decide that we'd um see what happened and if we did great uh obviously you came along and um yeah i think i can honestly say it's the greatest thing to happen to us i think and uh yeah so for for us it was it was great and uh whilst all child raising has its moments um mm. yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't change it i guess um 
Uh, one question as a follow-up. Um, well, I've got two questions, but we'll answer them separately. So one okay. is, why do circuit overseers not have children? Like, mm. why can't you have a, have a child as a circuit overseer? Or why shouldn't you? Because mm. you said it's not really frowned upon when generally people have children. But I'm guessing it would be when the circuit over, if a circuit overseer did. Well, you couldn't. Um, because mm-hmm. circuit overseers don't have a home. You know, they don't actually have a place no. they call home so, they well even if they had like a wife let's say and mm. and she lived in the home all the time and they traveled around and came home like businessmen do you know not not allowed no they were i mean some of them did in the end have um uh, i think as they got a bit older the society would sometimes pay for a house or something that they could go back to and live in um i don't know all the arrangements but i know there Mm -hmm. were some arrangements where some of the couples would live together but Mm -hmm. that was normally when they got a bit older so as young um as a young circuit overseer and his wife um they wouldn't have a home so they would literally go from one they would stay in a a brother and sister's home we had them from time Mm -hmm. to time they'd stay at our house for a week where they would come and the circuit overseer would would do the things that he did um that week which is give talks um bring messages from the 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 organization to you know organizational stuff if you like this is how you do it now this isn't how you do it Mm. there'd be some kind of it was a bit of an audit as well i think it was a kind of checking to make sure that the organization was doing sorry that the uh, congregation was doing things the organization's way not doing it their own way um, so there's quite a lot of um, uh, yeah checking up on the mm. on the brothers I think was going on at that point um, but none of that you know you could do none of that um, while still having a family because you literally would would be in uh, you know in a different city different town every week mm. so you wouldn't have um, you wouldn't have time for that really and you wouldn't i say you didn't just didn't physically have a place to call mm. your own so yeah completely inappropriate for having children um you know from time to time um circuit overseers uh found that their wives um got pregnant so obviously they had a um mm. a surprise so sometimes they would find themselves um unplanned pregnancies at which point they had to come off the circuit and um you know they'd been a bit of a tricky situation then <laughs> because they didn't really have a home they didn't have any you know necessarily anywhere to go so mm. um that was obviously not ideal but um but yeah they would have to do that so that's and it might say sound strange why am i worried why was i worrying about that well as a young jehovah's witness you know you did the decisions you made in your 20s even your teens would have um quite a a big effect on later so if i ever wanted to become a circuit overseer which i did then so you know when i was younger then um it, it meant that it would be difficult if i'd got married and had kids so it, it it did have a part to play i'm not saying that was the only ambition in my life was to be a circuit overseer and as i got older obviously as i've talked about the doubt started to creep in and the more that happened the less i was you know keen but um these um it's a complex 
juggling act you're doing in your mind about what you want out of life and mm. uh, you know there's there's obviously part of you that wants to progress in the organization that you're in there's part of you that wants to be a good husband there's parts of you that wants to you know even just have a girlfriend that's another part of you and then there's this other part of you that wants to uh, make make your own decisions about things and, and even leave so it's a very complex um, mm. part of you really but yeah and then my other question, so I said I had two, so that one, they're very separate questions though, was, so obviously you had all, I mean, it kind of comes in to what you just said. So you, um, obviously I know eventually you had doubts and you left, but when you were choosing to try or to not, mm. not try, um, mm. were you having doubts at that point? Because, you know, like, were you like, well, maybe we should have children because I'm not sure my entire life fulfillment is going to come from this religion. Maybe I could enjoy being a dad instead do you know what i mean yeah i i um i don't remember it having much of a of an impact if i'm honest i don't remember me thinking um hedging my bets or thinking you know mm. i'm not sure if this is the truth maybe i should have some kids i don't ever remember that being mm. a calculation not like you were um, seeing the old people without their kids and being like i don't want to no. end up like like them no mm. no i mean i've always and i still feel this way to be honest celine um I've always felt that having having children is a absolutely wonderful thing, massive privilege that that you know uh, you can bring a life into the world and then help raise that life and then you know see that person become who they are. And it's a wonderful experience, but I've never felt it should be a defining one. So, and I think that's maybe that might be surprising to some, but I, I think like I think I am myself I am obviously a father that is part of my identity but that's not the only part of my identity so if I hadn't have had children I would still be able to think of myself as who I am do you know what I mean I don't um, and I worry sometimes when parents are so so fixated upon their children that that is the only thing in life that matters sometimes you hear that you know it's the only thing that matters to me is my children and I worry about that because I think that's putting too much pressure on that relationship between the parent and the child, you know. And I mean, we'll talk a bit later, I guess, about how children turn out and whether they, you know, fulfill your um, expectations of them and all of that. But I think this is where sometimes these unhealthy expectations and then disappointment, I think this is where some of that... Um, these toxic relationships come from you know like you know I, I've never felt that I wanted you to be anything in particular you know I just want you to be happy and enjoy your life you know and and um, I didn't have any kind of plans you're gonna or oh, my kid's gonna do this and my kid's gonna do that do you know what I mean and and it's almost like for some parents that's kind of the only thing that matters is my children that's all that matters you know well I've just never felt that and I, I don't necessarily think that's healthy it, of course your children are your priority I would say but um, but yeah you have to you have to imagine that you have a life outside of that relationship it's, that is not everything um, and maybe that doesn't make sense to some people but, but for me I think it takes some of the pressure off and it means you can absolutely enjoy this relationship now <laughs> mm. without it meaning everything yeah um so that's just my opinion i mean i don't really draw from any particular um psychological theory on that or anything really other than it's just my opinion and um for what it's worth yeah no no that's good um 
I suppose, yeah, following up, when, just in terms of timeline, just because it's interesting, when you were choosing yeah. to be a parent, were you already considering leaving or were you not on that journey yet? I was I was definitely having heavy doubts. Um, I remember that the biggest thing, actually, that was bothering me at the time, I mean, I've already talked about um, you being the catalyst as to what made me make my decision at that time. You know, I'd been having doubts for a long time. So yes, I was having doubts when when we were deciding about um, whether to have children or not, and um, those doubts just didn't get any any uh, less. And um, but a big a big factor that I was worried about actually, which sounds a bit a bit bizarre, but was the blood issue. So mm. what what my big fear, the thing that was keeping me awake at night, um, was that due to the pregnancy that your mum would need some sort of blood transfusion or something because of complications which sometimes does happen at pregnancy um, and we would have to make the stand on blood which meant not having a, any blood transfusion yeah because m- mum had me and her have the kind of opposite blood types where you have to be like there, there can be complications as well that yeah i think she's rhesus negative and she so she yeah. had to have the injection which itself was a bit of a decision because mm-hmm. there is some fractions in um in that apparently that that has harvested from blood i think i mean you know don't um please don't at the time i mean this was obviously yeah. 24 yeah, exactly. years yeah. ago yeah um but we looked it up in the watchtower and it was a conscience issue mm-hmm. so we decided that our conscience meant we could we could go ahead with that and your mum could go ahead with that but my big worry was was what happened if there was some complication like during childbirth yeah mm. exactly and and I couldn't I just I just couldn't see myself standing there saying well actually I could see myself standing there saying to the doctor um I'm sorry but as a Jehovah's Witness you know we we won't be accepting blood and if your mum was unconscious or something you know I could imagine me saying that I wouldn't uh, we wouldn't accept that um, but on the other hand, I couldn't imagine it, <laughs> you know, so it was that I think that was I was concerned that I I would be faced with a decision that I wasn't kind of ready for to make decide and life or death for your wife. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she would she would have made the decision herself. But then if she's unconscious, I would have to stand by that decision. Mm. Um, so what happens when you go into hospital, you have to say what you will and won't accept and for jehovah's witnesses they have a um there's generally a form that you fill in to say that you don't accept blood under any circumstances you have to sign the form so obviously your mum did that Mm -hmm. and i have to agree to stand by that decision that she's made so it's her decision um technically um it's certainly not my decision but i would have to stand by that and and if i if i decided well do you know what i don't think she's made this under uh full knowledge and um i think the doctors may well say well you know as as next of kin i I might be able to um give Mm. permission for that to be done and and we'll worry about the consequences afterwards um so that was a big concern that i I never told anybody about that that was just a a real worry i had in my own guts really Mm. Um, as it happened 
there was nothing to worry about at that time but um but yeah but yeah it does it does illustrate the answer to your question which was yes i was having major doubts because you wouldn't and... even consider it as a question if you were Absolutely. if you were believing Absolutely. you wouldn't even yeah. consider it yeah. no that is one thing that always it slightly unnerves me in that because when i was first born officially they put down jehovah's witness didn't they because obviously mm. and mm. when i was ill they were like talking about transfusion we're like yeah that's fine if you need to you need to and they're like oh I thought you're jehovah's witness and we're like no please give us the blood <laughs> hi just a quick little interruption for you um we just want to remind you that you should leave us a little tweet about what you think of uh, the podcast maybe yeah. maybe you should tweet this to your friend do a public tweet telling your friend to to watch mm. this if you think or to listen rather if you think that they'd be a fan as well yeah yeah stop what you're doing right now and um yeah tweet something about the podcast or send somebody a text maybe send them a text and say have you heard of this new podcast called what should i think about or what should i think about (laughs) is really the way it should be um said (laughs) because it's got two dots and then a question mark on the end Mm. so what should i think about Anyway, so yeah, let people know about the podcast. It does make a big difference. The more listeners we get, the more we we feel like we're not talking to ourselves. Um, so yeah, please let people know. Right, back on with the rest. No, to get rid yeah. of the fact that you were a Jehovah's Witness on these records sometimes, it's really, really difficult because there's so many different places where this information is stored. Mm. And, um, and yeah, even years later, you might not realise, but there's somewhere in your mm. records that says this. So it is, it is quite as a, concerning. Yeah, as yeah. A, P- a PSA, yeah, public service announcement to any listeners <laughs> yeah. that are yeah. ex-witnesses, um, do tell your GPs, do tell um, yeah. if you're going... Make sure they know. Yeah, if you've, if you've got anything like me where you lose blood it's really important to um make sure they're aware that you really will take the blood if you need having, it if you if you're willing that, not everybody wants to yeah, anyway regardless but just just yeah. as a psa it's good to say having said that i think uh, most uh medical uh officials would would require something a bit more concrete than that so if you if you turned I up think in they a, do ask anyway an don't accident, they? Yeah. yeah but if you turned up in a road traffic accident and on your records it said that you know 20 years ago you'd uh your mm. record showed you were a jehovah's witness i don't think that's going to stop them oh no blood. no i just mean like if you're a new new leaver or something like you've been one yeah, all of your life yeah. probably good to just change it on your medical forms because it does have a medical a medical yeah. impact just a quick little psa for our listeners yeah <laughs> um but yeah, moving moving on for a public service announcement. Um, <laughs> you said it was kind of um, ambiguous as if to you should or shouldn't be having children because there was a lot of positivity when people were having children, but the talks are a bit like show your love to God by not. Um, but yeah. how... So when you did have children, or like, because obviously members would have children, um, how were they sort of taught to raise children? Yeah, there was a lot of advice about child rearing. <laughs> there mm. was, uh, it was very, uh, I would say, quite prescriptive in many respects. Um, when when I was younger, we studied a book called the well, we called it the family book. It was a green book. I think there's a, a later version of this now that's that's available and is used now. But um, for our, um, we studied it at the weekly group 
book study mm. which again they don't have anymore but we'd studied that and um, it was kind of it was like a, a manual if you like so it was how like families should operate how men should operate as husbands how women should operate as wives their relationships but also how they should raise their children and they would take bible verses and apply the bible principles in child rearing to the modern day so for instance you know should you um should you physically uh smack your children for instance was a question and it was quite a hot topic at the time when i was growing up i think it was a hot topic generally wasn't it yeah it was just around the time when there was there was a lot of talk about um child rearing you know child rearing experts um the one that actually sticks in my memory probably a lot of people have heard of him is dr spock so this is not mr spock i've not heard of dr spock okay so if you you type into google dr spock uh, again i i stress this is not mr spock from star trek this is dr spock so spock is spelled s-p-o-c-k um and he wrote a book about child rearing this was at the time, especially in America, where there was a lot of self-help books around. And Jehovah's Witnesses, as an organisation, have quite a lot of bad things to say about self-help books. And I'll share some of those um, No, yeah, concerns. of course. But also, like, it's just... I love that as a stance, they're just like, self-help books are bad. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, of what, course they think Why do you think, think they're bad? Yeah. It's just like, oh, because they're giving... They're getting you to be mindful and to think about things and consider your own happiness bad <laughs> <laughs> and they're giving you advice that isn't from the bible so yeah. or indeed from them so um so yeah so self-help books were not um appreciated well, it's but not gone for an audit has it it's, not, it's worldly it's not come from yeah exactly um so but anyway spock was dr spock was one of benjamin spock was one of the uh kind of uh, developmental psychologists who talked about child rearing and one of the things that he was known for was for um, trying to get parents not to physically beat their children quite so much, you know. So he, he didn't... A low bar. <laughs> yeah. He thought that smacking children wasn't necessarily the best way to raise them. Although, having said that, if you actually look at the, the full body of his work, he wasn't a complete anti-corporal punishment person. Um, he did move further towards that area later on in his life but you know it it wasn't like he was saying you should never smack your children which now is is not a is not a controversial stance i would say um but anyway he wasn't even saying that but anyway he was he was kind of saying look you know if you keep smacking your children essentially you're telling them that you're you know you don't love them well that's may or may not be true um but i think it uh, it went against the Bible's admonition was not to spare the rod, you know, the rod of discipline is what will. Uh, I I remember a, a scripture that I often used to get told. Mm. Uh, Foolishness is tied up in the heart of a boy, and the rod of discipline is what will bring it far from him. Something like that. I may have slightly got the words wrong, um, but yeah, so. So it wasn't, I mean, I don't want you to get the idea that I personally was physically smacked a lot, but there was, and it, again, it's, it's slightly ambiguous. 
um, the publications would say it doesn't necessarily have to be physical punishment. So when it talks about the rod of discipline, it could mean other types of discipline, like you know, stopping the child from having something they like or whatever. So it's about correcting the child. It's about you know getting the behaviour that you want through discipline. But if necessary, you know, some physical punishment might be needed depending on the child. So um, there was quite a lot of smacking going on. I mean, I do remember uh, in the hall uh, at the meetings, you know, kids messing about in the meetings. Now, you've got children there who are toddlers, you know, growing a bit older than that. Um, and they don't, you know, dep again, depending on the child, individual differences have a big part to play. But some kids just couldn't sit still for two hours, you know, and can you blame them, really? And so they were messing about, and especially if they had a brother or sister, they're mucking around with them. And then you'd, you'd hear it, the kerfuffle. Mum would, and it was normally the mum that would have to do it. She'd pick them up and she'd take them out and you'd hear them screaming as they're going out the down the uh, the, the aisle through this down the center of the aisle going out the hall and uh, there was one little kid who used to shout no mac me mummy no mac me no mac me it's so awful <laughs> it's awful no mac me that's so and, sad and then you'd hear her go into the if there was a second school area then she might go in there or it might be the toilet you know and sometimes you'd hear the smack um and the kid crying and then she'd bring it back once it had sort of settled down tears in its eyes and it'd sit there still for a while you know until it got fed up again because kids are kids aren't they also like and, i don't know at what age like kids start to link like actions and consequences so i don't know like yeah. at what point you start doing that and they're like oh smack because of that or if they're just associating going down the aisle being dragged with smacks do you know what i mean like well and the other, the other thing was it was you know it got them a bit of retention and got them out didn't it well yes <laughs> so true. They got can out i put up with it. a smack and at least i get to muck around in the second school for a while mm. i don't know i mean we can talk a bit later about some of the psychology around child rearing because yeah. obviously um i've done a bit of study since mm. then but um at the time yeah i do remember that so the society i, I definitely would say wasn't uh, when I was growing up, anyway, and I, th I think this reflects the again the the culture of the of the times. But when I was growing up, there was a, a feeling that um, physical punishment was appropriate, obviously so long as it didn't go too far. Um, so smacking was okay, but you didn't it didn't have to be smacking. It could be other things as well. But nobody would be criticised for smacking their child in the Kingdom Hall. Um, Under the house yeah. of God. You Indeed, can smack yeah. a child. <laughs> Glorious. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it, it they were very young, the children. Yeah. And, and I would say now you would say, is that, was that appropriate? Because um, I've got to say, that. like, if you're going to hold yourself up as the truth in some sort mm. of, like, you know, above it all congregation or organisation, I think just being reflective of the time isn't good enough. You need to be better no. than the time. So the fact that you're going out and smacking your child in the toilet because they don't sit still for two hours is, is you know, you can't, you don't get away with being like, oh, it was the time if you distance yourself from all other worldly things. Do you know what I mean? Well, it, it is a, it is an absolute anomaly. It's a, it doesn't make sense, does it? If you're saying that, um, yeah, as an organisation, 
then we're no part of the world and, and we stick to God's word and God's word is is uh, infallible and it doesn't change then yeah the um the the practices around discipline should also stay the same and then you get into real problems because the bible is um you know is is incredibly brutal when it comes to the laws that the israelites were given around how they should bring up their children Mm. um you know there was no doubt about it you know you beat them if they didn't behave and there are scriptures in the bible that that talks about uh children who um let me find it there's a but it just seems like truly just abusive parenting <laughs> like you know if you actually it... just whacked your child every time they did something wrong you know absolutely i mean there's a there's a a, a a paragraph in one of the watchtowers i think it was that i just had a quick look up before we talked about this mm-hmm. um and it talks about um if an occasion arose where a son became absolutely rebellious mm. um and after repeated warnings the discipline could get still s- sterner um and the the son was then brought before the older men of the city and after testimony from the parents, the parents would have to give this testimony, um, then the delinquent would be stoned to death. Um, this is from a scripture in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 21. Now, they, they do make the point this is likely to be an older child because it talks about them being a, a glutton and a drunkard. So mm. it's unlikely to be a, you know, a little one. Um, but then there's other scriptures like the, um, the one that always got me when I, was, when I was growing up was the one with Elisha. Um, and he had a bald head so the 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 kids in the the street um they shouted to him uh go up you bald head go up you bald head um and so he turned around eventually he put up with it for a while but he then turned around and called down evil upon them in the name of jehovah and then two she bears came out of the woods and tore them to pieces (laughs) 42 of them all 42 children got torn to pieces by two bears um because they called him a baldy that's a lot isn't it that's a bit of an overreaction Um, i call evil down upon you like children are just they just say stuff you know like they don't always even know what they mean like they say things and like like you know there's a, a a young a young kid once would say to me like why have you got all those spots and i'm like thank you I'm like why do you got those bracelets on your teeth and i'm like thank you you know yeah it's, it's true i mean the uh obviously again, those kids are purposely picking but they don't yeah, deserve to be spin, torn apart by bears well the spin was that they were they were doing more than just taking the mickey there was a kind of religious overtone to that mm. so it was to but you know i mean come on there's no there's no justification for no, you know don't go to the don't go to the parents and tell them what's going on and see if they might resolve it with their children and take yeah. a moment to educate them no destroy them with bears <laughs> it's the only random, way the only way to random... fix this is to tear them apart with bears don't let them yeah. ever get any further in their lives growth is unimportant bear death upon you, you see, all when i okay if you take that scripture literally which we did i think we would have to conclude that um the punishment way outweighed the crime you know the mm. punishment didn't fit the crime it was far too um you know strict but i think if you read it from what i would now look at that with a more critical lens and i would say 
or more skeptical lens, I would say there were. It's likely that this story, if it ever happened, um, the the time period um, between them shouting to him, "You baldy," mm. to actually being attacked by bears could have been days, weeks, months. So it could have been. I mean, I'm sure that. No, I um, like to imagine times... that immediately he shouts evil upon <laughs> yeah. you and the bears charge out of the forest and just destroy them. <laughs> but, you know, you can imagine that um, a, a terrible tragedy happens where um, kids, a bunch of kids get mauled by by some bears. Probably not 40 odd, it's probably more like two or something. Mm. Um, but they get mauled, and then somebody thinks, well, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did why did God call this cause this to happen? And then somebody remembers. Oh yeah, three months ago, um, I remember little, you know, uh, little Johnny, whatever the uh, the equivalent was at the time. Um, I remember him shouting at Elisha and calling him a baldy. Um, so yeah, that must be I it. I remember it Elisha losing his shit and calling evil down <laughs> upon them. I guess exactly. That's it. Yeah, and of course they'd go to Elisha. Was this you? Oh yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. I told you. I called the evil down. <laughs> the evil king anyway, in the form of she bears. So, but the point is, is that there is this brutality that um, I think it, it's like the end justify the means. You know, look, we we have to make sure that children are obedient, well adjusted, and and do what they're told because. Um, you know, their life depends on it. And if they don't, then, you bears. know, could very, very bad things can happen. Yeah, bears. Mm. Mm. Well, there we are. So that that was the way that children were, were brought up, not mm. to be afraid of bears, but to um, do what they're told, to be obedient. Um, and, yeah, the rod of discipline sometimes could be literal sometimes it would be figurative and it would very much depend on the child and the way that the parents interpreted the the instruction they got mm. i have to say that you know i don't i didn't experience um Dragging much if any of that the really. to be smacked. no i don't that not that never no happened bears to for us you. and there were no bears but um i know for some of the children that i would observe mm. there was um yeah there was really quite unpleasant scenes mm. so there we go um in in um I, I have some other sort of things we we wanted to talk about but um the the less religiously moded ones more just sort of yeah, like modern parenthood um mm. so one thing i've seen a few times and i think i no i don't think i know i agree with this is um if you're so on like social media and stuff i've seen this as a post like if you're not willing to have um a gay child or an lgbtq child don't have a child because you don't know how they will be born and grow up and if you're not willing you know if you're going to be a homophobe Mm. to them don't bother um and i think i agree with that in the sense that like yeah if you're going to be if you're going to kick your child out for being gay you don't know if your child's going to be gay so don't bother do you know what i mean like Mm. what do you think about that yeah i mean where to begin with that it's hard mm. isn't it i mean um Cause it's kind of like a modern thing to say that because like obviously in the past it would be like well you just raise them proper the proper and they won't do those things but obviously we know that's not reality yeah so we we know that um sexuality is not uh is not necessarily a and in fact it's not a learned behavior um, no. sexuality is an innate behavior so um that's not to say 
you know things can't individuals can't be shaped or forced into certain situations but who you're attracted to is not um is not something that you learn mm. you're attracted to who you're attracted to mm. um so you can't you can't raise a child to make sure that they don't become gay yeah no, exactly so, and, um, so i mean obviously if you're a witness parent they wouldn't agree with this because they'd be like well they're not going to do it or they won't be a practicing gay or whatever well i'm going to say that's that's the that's the answer they mm. would they may agree that um that you might be attracted to someone of the same sex but that doesn't necessarily mean that you would um you would act upon that so you would either stay uh single or you would you would get a girlfriend and mm. um you know, there's actually a, a YouTuber that I'll put a link to on the show mm. notes. Um, he's called Mentally Diseased <laughs> um, because that's what they call apostates. Um, so he's just he's gone with that, which I kind of admire. And he's he's gay. He's uh, an American guy, um, and he interviews a guy that was at Bethel, and which is like the centre. Uh, where they do all the they they make all the books or make all the headquarters the videos. headquarters yeah um and so single men single brothers go to work at bethel um anyway his life story is is on that uh, that channel so i'll put the link up it's really interesting to listen to um uh germ he calls himself it's really mm. interesting to listen to germ the interview that he does with this guy um absolutely heartbreaking as well actually mm. really heartbreaking it's it's a tremendous interview and it, it really does bring home the unfairness and and nastiness really of that uh policy mm. but so he got married he, he you know he he got married and had a child um, but he was always gay and it just meant that he was living a lie it was really really difficult for him so so yeah um so the answer to your question is i mean first of all i i, I kind of refer you to my point before in a way because this is this is another so parking to one side the fact that this is clearly as a result of a misunderstanding about sexuality and how sexuality develops mm. so let's park that for a moment the fact that a parent has in their mind what their child is going to be like, whether that be their sexuality or their intelligence or their looks or whatever it might be, if they have this image in their mind of this is the way my child is going to be, then you're not allowing that child to develop themselves um, and find their own way in life. So for me, I think that's that's almost as bad as the homophobia is is saying that this child is going to be like this whatever that is mm. and if they don't be like this then i i'm going to reject them i don't care about them um, and i think that for me that goes against everything that that i believe in when it comes to being a parent so no if you'd have if you'd have uh, decided that you were gay uh absolutely fine i wouldn't have had a problem with that whatsoever um and yeah, and I think that that's really interesting because if if you'd have asked me that twenty years ago, mm. you know, I would have felt that was, um, yeah, I couldn't have imagined being so cool about that. But yeah, that's that that conditioning is very very strong. I would say. Yeah, so we've already actually talked about 
sort of discipline a bit and but we wanted to go more into the um psychology but maybe before that i'll just ask Mm. you a question of you know if you were at the start again now i know like um you know you could as a guy you could have kids now but um Mm. well you couldn't but (laughs) from a from a former um, episode we now know that i couldn't no um (laughs) because you've done the final deed yeah Yeah. but um you know you know in terms of biology you could but Mm. um if we but you know to remove all of the like Mm. other extra bits but if you were my age you know now would you you know just to revert back to you know your age and it's with mum let's say would you have would you want kids in this particular climate this world that we live in now yeah it's funny because um i think most well in my experience thinking back i think most people my age i've heard them say oh you know i wouldn't want to have children now you know (laughs) so i think that's kind of a bit of a (laughs) cultural trope that somehow crops up every generation um you know you always think the world is is terrible place as you get older and it gets more bad the older you get because because the everything sort of moves past you doesn't it and um becomes more and more terrifying yeah the the complications of life everything just gets more complicated from your perspective Mm. i remember my grandparents you know being completely flummoxed by digital watches you know (laughs) it's from the devil you know uh but you know and and um yeah i mean the internet i mean i can't imagine what they think of that social media and stuff so uh uh it's difficult isn't it i I think as I as I sit here now, I I can understand why uh, people might say I don't want to have children because of the the way that the world is. But I would I would also say that there was the world was always bad, <laughs> but it's always been good as well, you know. So it's really um, there's never a, never a perfect time to to bring a child into the world. Um, but I think you can overthink it is is my is my answer to that. So if I was you, if I was your age, and I, you know, had a uh, uh, the relationship that I I had and have with my my wife, yeah, I think I would have kids again. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't think it would stop me. Yeah, there, there's nice always <laughs> yeah. There's like we watched uh, Men in Black uh, last night. Um, just as a bit of rubbish that's on the television and there's a there's a a line in that where you know he says well what about the what about the Tyrellian battle cruiser that's just about to destroy the earth and he says there's always a Tyrellian battle cruiser about to destroy the earth mm-hmm. and it kind of that is it you know I'm not undermining or belittling the the real issues that face us you know climate change population issues uh, pandemics, you know, yeah, of course, it, it's all there, social disruption and so on. But you know, it's always when I was growing up that there was a real fear of nuclear holocaust. You know, we would have lessons at school about how to, what to do when you heard the the nuclear five minute warning. Mm-hmm. We lived in Peterborough, London was only eighty miles away. So if a bomb drops, I remember the teacher telling us, you know, if a bomb drops in London, uh, a nuclear bomb. It would take X amount of minutes for the shockwave to reach Peterborough. 
Well, thank you very much. And then, um, you know, days after that would be the the radioactive fallout from mm. all the dust that it's created. So you have to stay inside because, um, oh, I mean, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So is it a, you know, is, are the bad things? Yeah. Um, but I think that shouldn't stop you if you want to have children. That's my that's how I feel. I mean, it's up to each individual to make that decision, isn't it? Yeah, um, of and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to try and tell other people what to mm. do. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and the other question is like overpopulation. You know, should we be having more kids because of uh, overpopulation? And um, again, I think that's. I feel like that's just putting too much onto an individual's shoulders i really do you know mm. if somebody wants children then great yeah. i bet they'll be great parents that that's how i feel mm. that's nice raise them well <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll have a little section the psychology bit um because yeah. we talked a bit about discipline but i think just generally the psychology of parenting post post religion um is quite interesting um yeah, so I think the yeah. your your opinions post religion about psychology of raising children and such is quite interesting. I feel like my opinion is as a child, I don't think you. So, what's your opinion about like discipline? Well, I'll ask you because uh, the I'm way interested that, in that yeah, the way you guys. I mean, obviously, I've only got the experience of mm. you being my parents. I think the way you would do discipline. Like, I think I was pretty. I think you got off quite well with having me. To I be think honest. we're quite lucky. Yeah, I don't I think I'm a particularly boundary pushing no. child. I think I was quite no. eager to please. To be honest, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So obviously that has its advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, though you know some of that, some of that will be disposition, and some of that will come from just sort of setting boundaries quite clearly. Because I think yeah. something that. I have heard discussed a lot is that children actually like boundaries. Like they don't, they wouldn't be yeah. like, "Oh, mummy dear, I love boundaries." Do you know what I mean? They don't, <laughs> they don't understand. But like, it's helpful because no. as a child, you don't understand like nuance. You know, so like just having clear boundaries as to what you can and can't Absolutely. do. As much as you yeah. might un- be annoyed by them, just having clarity is really important. Mm-hmm. And I think it was clear. Like I don't think I was ever confused as to what would upset you or not. Do you know what I mean? So even if I did yeah. something that I knew would upset you, like having, um, you can bleep it if you want, but having a shit tip of a room, I knew that would upset <laughs> you. Um, but I still did have a shit tip of a room. Do you know what I mean? So it's not yeah. like I was perfect, but I did know what would and wouldn't upset you. Um, I do know that you were, I think you were probably chief of of doing the, the discipline more because mum, I don't think, liked doing it. <laughs> I know she would say, do you want me to tell dad? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know if that's quite typical of the time as well. I think that's that's quite typical. I, um, I don't know. I, I see that. I'm quite interested in, I see in that as, mum's discipline with you. I, I, yeah. I'd not really... No, well, you'd I think be, she'd leave it to me if I was there. But what? I don't know, because sometimes she'd be... It'd be like, we'll sort that out. Otherwise, when dad gets home, I'm going to tell him. <laughs> it's like oh okay um i think you'd because i notice that when i'm at work like there'll be often mums are still like primary caregiver in england aren't Mm. they so there'll be 
in the shop with their kids and they're like misbehaving they're like i'm gonna have to come back when they're not here but i'm nipping in and a lot i would say probably like 70 percent of the time when it's a mischievous child they'll be like i'll call your dad right now i will call him on facetime and he will talk to you <laughs> and they're like oh no i i don't see that very often i i mean what i mm. Um, it's interesting you saying in the kingdom hall you would see a lot of mums dragging their kids up but i mm. see a lot more like stern talking to's from dads like in regards to at work and stuff like they'll be like i'll tell your dad as well that's interesting yeah i mean that, in a way that's that's not i mean i, I never was a fan of uh, wait till your father gets home no no i think like um, i don't think she really was it was just kind <laughs> of like an empty threat it was kind of like yeah because I, I think, think sometimes she you... would just tell him anyway, <laughs> and it's like, oh, rubbish. yeah. We we didn't we. I think we were always really careful to um, not be played mm. one to the other, you know. So we were very honest with each other, and no, it wouldn't be like exactly if you didn't want so. it. Would it would it wouldn't be like I'd be asking for something and she didn't want to be the one to say no, so yeah. she passed the book. Yeah. I don't think you guys did that. I don't think I ever because some kids I know used to get away with being like, yeah. I got it because I got passed from one to the other and neither wanted to say no. But um, I, do, I don't. I think you were quite united front on what yeah, was we going to fly and not to, exactly to talk to each other. So that, and that's that's one of the things that that we um, we always try to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, uh, yeah. So if you had to have children, um, how would you approach? Let's say you you had a kid that was. Like you're in the shops mm-hmm. and they decide that they have had enough. Uh, they want some chocolate, and you've said uh, no because obviously it'll spoil your tea. Mm. And uh, you know, I want some chocolate, mummy. I want some chocolate, mm. and they just won't shut up. And they start really being disruptive in the shop. How would you? How would you deal with that? I guess you either like. It depends on how screaming they are. I really just hope I don't end up with a screamer, though. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's just... I just I just don't want them to ever... I, t- I don't care if they're just being a bit stroppy, because sometimes kids will get stroppy and that's fine. Like, they're just going to be in a, in a mard while you, like, push them around in the trolley getting things. They don't always have to be performing cuteness. They can be yeah. in a bit of a mood. But, like, if okay. they're literally screaming... Yeah. Oh, I feel like there's some there's nothing there's not much to do once they're in that. I feel like it's the pre and post work that's important. Do you know what I mean? Like just you've got to well, have... well, you got to deal with it, haven't you? So what do you do? If you're doing, I guess you just. I guess I would just. Like, if I was with my partner. <laughs> right. Give it to no, me. No, 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 no. I would be like, so, say this is my issue, I have to deal with it. But like, if he's there, then I'll be like, you carry on with the shopping, I'll take them and make them sit outside until they calm down, and then I'll go back mm. in. Because I don't want to just take them home, because then that's like teaching them that wins. But I don't mm. want them to disrupt everybody's lives that's yeah. in the shop. So I'll just make them like sit outside and I'll just stand there. Um, one thing that used to make me laugh with one of my family with one of our family friends was if a certain child was having throwing a tantrum and sitting on the floor and remo- refusing to move in the middle of the shop she didn't find that embarrassing but she was like i'll do it to you then so she would yeah. sit on the floor as well yeah and she'd just sit there and be like oh i hate i hate being in the shop it's order and she'd just be like what are you doing oh my god and like be imba- she'd be mortified yeah so she'd just do that she's like i don't care 
watch me watch me <laughs> scream on the floor <laughs> yeah. yeah and she was like oh and she'd just get up then and that would be it <laughs> do you know what i mean I mean, one thing i saw the other day which i it's difficult because i kind of wanted to go up to the mother and say look i really appreciated i thought you were really mm. skillful there what you did yeah. but i just it's not I guess it's not appropriate, really, for a bloke mm-hmm. to come up to a woman and say that was great because you know who am I to give them? Yeah, yeah. But it just, I, I just felt, well, great. You know, we, there is, there is some common sense being mm-hmm. applied. I mean, the child was being noisy and um, fractious, and all she did was just picked him up and just kept hold of him, and he was, he was trying to wriggle and trying mm-hmm. to scream, and she just wouldn't, she just wouldn't allow him to run around and to, yeah. to shout and to scream, and well, I mean. She couldn't stop him shouting and screaming, but she could stop him running around. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, put him just, in the trolley or hold on to yeah, him, yeah, and just carry just on. she just didn't respond, you know. She, he just kept on trying to get his mum to uh, to respond, and she just, just carried on doing what she was doing, you know. Um, and I thought she handled it really, really well. So, I think yeah, mum I mean, was good at that, actually. That's what yeah. she did. I think you 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 would be better at doing this, the talking to, and then mm. she would be better at doing the... I'm just going to zone out of this because mum's really good at just ejecting mentally and carrying on with the task at hand. Yeah. So she can literally just mentally evacuate and just carry on looking at tomatoes. It doesn't bother her, which is interesting. Yeah, I think you're right, though, that that, um, different children uh, will be more challenging because there there are these individual differences that mean that, that that, you know, different children will will have differences and that can just literally be genetic so um, it's Mm. just the way it is um going to the psychology of of raising children um obviously it's part it was part of my undergraduate degree so we did a whole module on um well it gets called developmental psychology um i think these days it tends to get called um lifespan psychology Mm. but it's it's basically you know children from uh, from birth really to uh, adolescence and, and so on so there's this and then you can go beyond that which is why it's called lifespan so okay you know the changes that happen in your psychology through your life but clearly a big a big important part of your your development is is in those early years and it does make a big difference and there's some interesting research that I thought I'd, I'd share perhaps with you today mm-hmm. and to the listeners and if you're interested in this stuff, then obviously you can you can do some more digging because it's is fascinating. Um, it wasn't my area of particular expertise or interest. I have to say, strangely, as mm. I was a dad, um, it wasn't an area that I knew that I'd want to specialise in. But we did do quite a bit of work on on child development and so on. I also find it really interesting when you have a psychological theory which is then. Uh, provided you know there's evidence provided for it experimentally or through mm. some other scientific way um, that really but really does match with I guess what you might call common sense or it it makes sense you know and, mm. and I think when it comes to child rearing child rearing there's not much that comes as a massive shock mm. <laughs> which I think is kind of good news because in many respects you can innately you you might have a lot of these ideas anyway so the, the one that i was going to talk about was was something called the well mary ainsworth is the researcher along with somebody called bowlby who was who actually she she worked for for a while and he was i suppose the guy that came up with this idea called attachment mm. um so john bowlby 
in the 60s came up with this idea of attachment and that attachment the way that a child is attached to their primary caregiver and again at the time when this was being investigated it was considered to be the mother but it doesn't have to be it's just whoever is the primary caregiver so the way that that child develops a style of attachment to that primary caregiver can have a massive effect on how they then perceive themselves and and their relationships later in life that's not however to say that you can't make changes because there it turns out that there is adult attachment theory as well mm-hmm. so you can actually move these attachment styles yeah. so that's a good thing you know it doesn't it doesn't mean you you know you're stuffed if you had a difficult relationship with your parents um but the idea of attachment uh, was that um that the way that the child would respond to their mother at the time well i'll use mother but it it, it does it you is can say caregiver if you ex- like okay um the way that the child would respond to their caregiver particularly if they were separated um and then came back how that how the child responded to that situation would be a kind of predictor for how that child how happy that child would be later and how well adjusted they'd be as younger adults um mary ainsworth was a and again it's so much in this story it's absolutely fascinating um but she was a researcher who um at the time you know the woman tended to go where the husband went Mm. so the husband her husband had a career as well and he got assigned to uganda so she was already doing some research but then she got then he got posted to uganda so she she had to follow him because that's the way things were done then even though she had a you know a research project on the go but she'd already been observing the way that children um interact with their parents and the and the what that was like um anyway she ended up in uganda and she decided to um, do some clinical work or do some experimental work I should say on Ugandan mothers and their children and this is so interesting because often one of the big criticisms of, of psychology in the West is that it's all it's all kind of focused on on the West and on the UK and Europe and, and America um, but this was this was observing Ugandan mothers with their children um, and she started to identify certain characteristics and certain styles of attachment. So in the initial instance, this is what we would call qualitative work. This is just literally observing. But she realized that um, if she was going to get this work published and if it was going to be accepted by Western um, experts, that she would need to, qualitative work wasn't going to cut it. She had to find a way of doing this experimentally. And so she devise this experiment she called the strange situation and i'll put some again i'll put some stuff on the show notes around this but the strange situation basically sets up where you have a mother and baby um, and they're in a room um, and then a stranger joins the mother and the infant so now you've got three people in the room you've got mother baby and or mother infant i should say not a baby a toddler normally mother infant and stranger and then the mother leaves the baby and the stranger alone and then the mother comes back 
and the stranger then leaves and then the mother leaves and the infant's left alone and then the stranger returns which means that the baby or the child and the uh, the stranger are there together and then the mother returns and the stranger leaves so it all sounds quite complicated if you watch it there's a video of, sort of, of it actually happening yeah. yeah so but what's really interesting what the psychologists are looking for is is actually not so much the way the child behaves when the mother's gone but more when the mother comes back and the way that the child behaves when the mother returns um, means that they can essentially score the attachment style and you end up with uh, three different types of attachment so there's secure attachment and then there's resistant insecure and there's avoidant insecure so imagine you know you've just seen the the kids with the the stranger the mother comes back if the child is positive and happy when the mother comes back and goes up to mum gives her a hug and then just carries on playing with the toys they were playing with you'd you describe that as a as a secure attachment because what's happening is the child has got this kind of model in its head that this is my whatever my mummy my mm -hmm. primary caregiver um, and they know that mum's going to come back that's part of their model that's they can predict that's going to happen mm. but if when the mother comes back the in, infant perhaps goes to the mother but then resists her so maybe she goes to cuddle him and he pushes her away or mm. whatever then that would signify a resistant behavior is that like the avoidant Sort of. well that's the next one so the avoidant oh, right. would be uh, the mother comes back and the kid ignores mum. Oh, okay so it just carries on playing mm. um and what's interesting is um is in the old days when she started doing this work it was considered that the avoidant behavior was actually better because the child was kind of learning how to self-soothe you know mm. exactly be independent um but what Bowlby and um, Ainsworth were able to show was that children absolutely need this what they called a secure base they mm -hmm. need to feel loved uh, protected um, and have this this base where they can go and explore from so they but they always know they've got this base there that they can they can come back to mm -hmm. so the child can go off and investigate other things and meet other people and have friends and, and so on but they know that they can come back to mum or dad or whoever their primary caregiver is and they've always got that secure base mm -hmm. um, and I think that's that has shaped when I left the organization this idea of a secure base although you're a bit older by then um, I think that has definitely shaped my view of what our job is as parents mm. it's to provide a secure base so it's not to smother you so that you don't you know you can't do without us we want you to be able to do things on your own of course we wanted you to develop and move away and do all those things but we wanted to always feel that you had this secure base you could always come back and if there's one thing i suppose feeling to myself as a parent if that's my job it's that it's to create that secure base that love that feeling of yeah um that model of attachment that says i know that i've always got that place to come back to and i think that does that does put you in good stead 
uh, later on in life. So there's a few websites I'll put some links onto it. Um, I'll put the YouTube video where you can actually see the strange situation. It's called mm. the um, experiment. You can see that. Uh, but this reflected a, a change actually in in parenting advice because up to that point the behaviorists have been in charge and i think i've talked about behaviorists before these were the people who did all the experiments about uh, pigeons and mice and rats yeah. and uh, how you could get them to do things by removing or negative yeah things exactly or, yeah. and so that you know in those days psychologists thought that kids essentially loved you because you fed them yeah cupboard love um but bowlby it's a bit and, uh, basic isn't it it's too basic. Bowlby and Ainsworth showed that now you know, as as human beings, we we need. Um, well, you're just that. you're just a tiny version of a human. It's not that you're as thick as like just a just a mouse, you know, and you only care about food. You're you're a, you're developing, growing little mind, aren't you? Well, yeah, but the the behaviorists thought that the what you know that was the only thing. So even mm. as you got later in life, you could you could manipulate people's behavior literally by working them. out incentives and, and mm. so yeah so um we moved away from that and i think that was much better when mm. we did um so now you know when children cry the advice isn't oh well leave them to cry because you know if you keep picking them up then um yeah then they'll they'll well yeah you know, you're teaching there's them still somewhat of a hangover with that because i know some people are like oh don't keep picking up your child you're gonna spoil them <laughs> Yeah. So they always expect it. And it's like... Um, okay. Mary Ainsworth used to say, never give up an opportunity to cuddle a child. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is kind of lovely. And and yeah, what, why not? Um, of course, you don't want to turn them into... There is a... Like everything in this, mm. this field, there is a balance to be yeah. drawn. So clearly you can smother children so that mm. instead of it being a secure base it becomes a prison no yeah like obviously <laughs> i just mean like if they're crying and they're crying out yeah. obviously for Absolutely. support give them support i mean that's the whole yeah. point of babies being able to all they've got is crying you know <laughs> they, they've not got words yet yeah and i mean lots of um lots of people do point to mm. many cultures where their children are literally with them all the time you know yeah. in the west we've we've got used to this idea that that put them kids. in a different room in the exactly, you know, don't because yeah. um there's there's obviously there's a difference between bed sharing and co-sleeping you know those like you can get yeah. next to your bed like bassinets or you can get yeah. um like bed extenders where they're like a tiny mini bed that slots next to your bed so yeah. you can't like roll by accident or anything um and i think that's like some people are a bit funny about that um i know some people still advocate for bed sharing that would scare me to be honest i'd be so afraid yeah. of rolling onto them or something because yeah. i'm yeah. such a brick sleeper i'd terrifying yeah. um i mean i'm sure you become much lighter of a sleeper when you have a child because you're constantly like are they alive <laughs> um but yeah no i don't think that would be for me but i wouldn't judge people for what they do i guess like as long as they've done research and think they're doing the right things yeah so i think there's there's some you know in terms of where to go to to get good advice um i think there's a lot of common sense there's a lot of um um, I still think there's there's definitely room for talking to your parents about their experiences because mm. they'll they'll be able to talk about the mistakes they made as well as the things that they got mm -hmm. right. Um, but I do think 
you know using the bible as your as your means to tell you how to discipline and raise your children is not the right place in my view it's not great uh, that's not the best place to go um and the claim that it doesn't change is actually not true because as we kind of alluded to mm. um the way that uh, certainly in my experience that Jehovah's Witnesses mm. raise their children now is different to the way they did it when I was growing up so yeah. I think uh, things do change actually and mm. they move in line with culture perhaps not as much but they do they do shift to some degree mm-hmm. um, so yeah there's lots of good um, there's lots of good bits of advice and and um, yeah uh, again I think we have to personally take those bits of advice and apply them in the way that makes sense in our environment and with our child and um, you know and so that's why it's always difficult to be too prescriptive about these things yeah definitely oh i quite enjoyed Good. that one yeah that was interesting wasn't it a bit different mm. um mm. yeah so uh, so that's uh, maybe we should that's do a bonus raising children yeah maybe we should do a bonus episode where we do a um do an attachment quiz <laughs> Maybe, or I was thinking, because we, we want to do these um, bonus episodes where we, we look at a bit of media or mm. like a film or something. Yeah. Um, so what could we do that, uh, that that couples with this one? Well, I mean, there is Meet the Parents, obviously, but yeah, like, oh my God, how do you review that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I can competently and um, eloquently discuss that. Also, De Niro again, so oh yeah 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 because we did an episode bonus episode where we're talking about um the film red lights um for our supernatural talk yes that's right we're going to try and do that as much as we can yeah we'll find a film or something that we Mm -hmm. can review yeah and uh there's actually quite a few interesting movies about children and uh raising children Uh, off the top of my head Mm -hmm. i can't think of any but we will find something i I think potentially we could maybe watch moonlight you've never seen that but that's about the three stages of somebody's life yeah um so that's a potential i've not seen that for a while so yeah maybe maybe we'll put that out on twitter maybe we could ask the the twitter universe what's a good film about parenting regardless if it's good parenting or bad parenting whatever just a film about being a parent Mm, it's a good idea yeah i'll do that yeah good all right well thanks for listening everybody thank you very much don't forget to subscribe if you can leave a comment leave a comment and um, tell other people the more the merrier yeah do a review do a five star review (laughs) (laughs) um no even any any form of stars it just gets more people seeing it on the algorithm and just tweeting us that is always really nice cool thank you very much thank you bye bye what should i think about is an evil sheep production